When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. So great to be here. We have a really wonderful show for you this week, and joining me in just a moment will be Ronnie Polineski. Ronnie is an award-winning journalist. Uh, she had her own column in the Philadelphia Inquirer for over 23 years. She also has a certificate in positive psychology, and we're going to be talking about the art of listening um, and a couple of her TED Talks. Um, which I find really fascinating. Um, later in the show, you'll hear from Sherry Morrison, our Lifestyle Watch contributor. And Sherry's going to be speaking with Suzanne Duplantis. Suzanne is the co-founder and executive director for Lyric Fest. And as always, you'll be hearing from Carol Eggert, uh, Senior Vice President of Veterans and Military Affairs at Comcast, NBC Universal, as well as Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So now I'm very excited and honored to welcome to the show, Ronnie Polineski. Hey. Hello. Hi. I wasn't sure if we missed each other there. How you doing? Oh, good, good. I'm so excited to have you and um, have, I, I should have noted at the top of the show, we're from the same town. Yeah. So I'm excited to maybe take a little walk down memory lane. Yeah, um, let's, do let's do it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. <laughs> so, you know, as I always do, I start at the beginning. Um, you and I had a wonderful conversation, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think we share the very same, I'll say, theory about storytelling mm -hmm. and that, you know, taking those deep dives and having those intimate conversations is really where um, those great lessons are learned. And um, I would say the first thing about your background that is striking is that you were one of nine children, yeah. which is a lot. So many, yeah, so many. <laughs> big family, big family. And the first thing I thought about asking was, did you have an extreme amount of freedom? You know, when you're one of nine, mm -hmm. um, I guess, depending where you fall into line, I can't imagine your parents keeping track of everything that was going on. 
Um, well, you know, it's really funny. I think back then I may not have thought that I had freedom, but when I see how kids um, are sort of restricted in the world today, I realize how much freedom I had. I mean, I don't know if you ever did it. We would just walk the train tracks to get from Orland to Flower Town, three miles on train we spent a lot of time on the train tracks. I'm not sure why. <laughs> we did. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of freedom. I mean, my parents were pretty, um, really, um, I don't want to say so much strict. Um, my dad was really strict. They had high expectations for us, but also we were given a lot of responsibility and it was just expected that we would shoulder it and handle it. And I think that in a way that's, that's its own kind of freedom. You know, I mean, I look back and realize um, that the responsibilities I had, especially as one of the older siblings, really um, sort of worked my capability muscles. I didn't realize until years later that, wow, I was a really capable person. Mm. And um, so I think that's, you know, that's how that uh, impacted me. Plus, my parents gave me my eight best friends. I mean, best friends, my siblings, you know, so it was a good way to grow up. Yeah. Um, I know you describe your dad as the head and your mom as the heart. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a beautiful combination. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of impact did their kind of love story have on you? They had a deep, deep affection and respect for each other. And um, one thing that always struck me and it struck, I mean, eventually they moved into this big retirement community. They're both gone now, sadly, but people would note when they first moved in, they said, oh, that's the couple that holds hands. My parents held hands all the time. My, my mother would put a meal on the table. It could have been breakfast cereal because she was so tired from having, you know, <laughs> and my father would say, honey, this is the best dinner I've ever had. And he Aww. meant it. He meant what it. A good, yes. That's he was the a right thing man. to say. A very dutiful, good man. He loved my mother. Um, he loved us. And if we were giving my mother a hard time, he, he would not stand for that. Would yeah. not stand that so they had deep deep devotion they had some years you know in retrospect my mother would say some years were harder than others but they didn't they certainly didn't occur to any of us as being hard you know mm -hmm. but they were just you know they just hung in there they just hung yeah. in there they were devoted I mean financially there had to be times where you know there there was there was worry and it's incredible to me that you know yeah everything works out well, it works out. And, you know, we were really pretty um, uh, enterprising kids. I mean, we knew there was no money. I mean, I've been working since I'm 11. I mean, I started babysitting, uh, do you know, the trainers? Yeah. <laughs> the trainer. I, of course. I was 11 because I knew how to handle an infant. Like I knew yes. about infants and yeah. I've been working in some way since I was 11. So yeah, we all knew that we'd have food, we'd have a roof over our head, there would be some hand-me-downs and anything else, we had to go get it ourselves. Yeah. And um, Every, and I think it served all of us, actually. Yeah, I think it's a great way to grow up. I think, you know, as you noted, kids today are being raised in a completely different way. Sure. And we had this freedom. We were out running around in the neighborhood with not a lot of supervision. Yeah. But I do think it helped us learn how to figure things out. And we didn't necessarily have that relationship with our parents where, you know, they knew what we were doing every minute and we were having conversations with them on a regular basis. So there's pros and cons. There, there really is. And I think, um, you know, my parents were not able to give us everything that they wished that they could have, but I feel like what they gave us were the tools to go get it ourselves. And 
we just became really capable adults, I think. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really proud of that and really grateful to them. Can you, can you remember a time when you felt ever when you were younger that you were kind of losing your way? I think that's sometimes the natural progression of growing up, um, yeah. feeling uncertain. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, I think probably not so much when I was growing up, but, you know, I went, well, no, of course. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do senior year of high school. Kids all around me are applying to this college, that college, and I wasn't even applying to college. I had no idea what to do. My parents were so busy raising five more after me that I think they just hoped I'd figure it out. And <laughs> an older brother and sister who were three older two older sisters and a brother who were very self-directed. My one brother knew he wanted to go into the uh, Air Force and be a pilot. And he charted a course. My other sister knew she wanted to be a physician. She charted a course. My other sister knew that she didn't want to do college, wanted to do business. She charted his course. Wow. And then there was Ronnie. <laughs> and I was like, ah, I don't know what to do. So um, this is a really brief story. But back then, um, Temple University, their slogan was, I could have chosen anywhere, but I chose Temple, right? Mm -hmm. So I say this because I had a friend who was a few years older who worked at Temple in the admissions office. And it must have been around March or something of my senior year. And he said, um, so what are you going to do? And I said, I guess I'll go to college. And he's like, well, where have you applied? And I'm like, nowhere. Like, I, I didn't even know how. And it seemed um, untoward to ask my parents, could you help me? And um, so Rick said, you're going to go to Temple. And he got me an application, filled it out with me, wow. <laughs> handed it in. I got in because back then Temple was not the competitive school it is today. Like you could have gotten in drunk and it didn't matter. <laughs> back then, this was my impression. So um, I had a great time. Uh, but I always like to say that my friend Rick could have chosen to have me go anywhere. But Rick. <laughs> Good for him. Good for him. Good for Rick. Yeah. Yeah. We all need someone to guide us. And, you know, it's interesting yes. because we also didn't have the, the counseling and the support right. um, necessarily in high school mm -hmm. to help us sort that out, you right. know, and right. we right. really right. needed that. Yeah. Um, let, did, so did you, you're, obviously your gifts are really language and communication and yeah. storytelling. Right. Um, did you always, so when you figure, started to figure it out, and know that's where your love was. Mm. Um, did you feel more confident then in your direction and what you were going to pursue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had I had no idea what I was going to do. I went to Temple and for the two, first two and a half years. I just had fun. I had a solid 2.0 cube. <laughs> and after two and a half years, I was like, I think I shouldn't be in college. And at that point, I was doing a lot of music. I was singing and songwriting and I was um, I was a street busker on South Street. I was one of those people. And um, I thought, I'm just going to do music. So I dropped out and worked at uh, a hospital um, as a receptionist. And then nights I was just singing and playing music and stuff. And after about a year and a half, I realized that I didn't have and was not interested in developing the grit that you would need to really become like a working musician, songwriter. I didn't have it. And um I didn't know what to do next. I looked at my transcripts and said, what do I have the most credits in? English. I'll finish up in English. Went back to Temple, finished up in English. And in my senior year, got an internship at Philadelphia Magazine. And that's when the light went off for me. I was like, wait a minute. You can talk to people, hear their stories, and then write them. And that's a job. And it, I would do any, I, I would, after that, I would write anything for anybody, anytime. 
loved it so much. And I really found like, this is my thing. This is my yeah. thing. Writing is, not, writing is not easy. You know, I think you can, you know, be a good communicator and, oh, yeah. um, but writing is a whole separate thing. Mm, you know, yeah. let, let, let's talk about your career. So 23 years um, having your own column with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's fantastic. And that shows longevity. And clearly, you, and, and I, when I told people I was interviewing you, I can't tell you how many people, oh my gosh, oh. I love to read her oh, articles. So I love, you know, people know you. Yeah. Um, what, what are you most proud of in having that long career and, and really touching people with your work? Um, I'm really, yeah, I'm really proud of the career. I'm really proud of it because, um, I was proud that I would listen to people that other people didn't think were worth listening to. And not all the time, but, but so many of the things I wrote, people would pick up the phone and, and they would call the paper or call, call a columnist because somebody hadn't listened to them. You know, mm -hmm. some utility company wouldn't listen to them. Their city council person wouldn't, their, their kids school teacher wouldn't. And it had just, they, they'd hit a wall, they'd hit a brink, they were fed up. And um, in the grand scheme of things, a lot of the things that they were concerned about are not the things that you'd find on the front page of a paper, but people's lives, the events of their lives are front page worthy to them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just found that if you just listened and asked the right questions and hung in there with them, um, you you could make a difference. And somebody once said, oh, you give voice to the voiceless. And I thought that is actually disrespectful. They have voices, they're screaming. What we were able to do was amplify them maybe enough or maybe call out the people who should have been listening in the first place to listen. And then suddenly it's like, oh, I hear them. And I would always think, why did it take this? Like, it shouldn't have to take this. Yeah. You could have just listened, you know? So I, I feel really proud of that. And um, super, super grateful for the years I was there. Um, it, it's, I, I wouldn't trade a day of it. Would not trade a day of it. It was amazing. It's amazing. How would you describe the difference between listening and hearing? Ah. Uh, Funny you should ask that. <laughs> I have some notes because <laughs> uh, I do I do tons and I do tons of like speaking about listening. Um, hearing is, I mean, listening is when you actually you do a couple things to make sure that you're really listening. Number one, you make you let go of your judgments. You consciously decide to set aside a judgment. Basically, you make a decision to suspend your right to be right about whatever the person is saying, meaning like, oh, I know better, or I was there. Like you, you sort of suspend all that so that you can hear what your, what our, I'll speak an hour, but our propensity for being right keeps us from hearing. So by let going of judgments or biases, um, it doesn't even mean that you don't believe them anymore. It doesn't mean that some of them aren't true. It just means that you're going to put them aside because that can block what you're hearing. Um, if you, another thing that gets in the way of really closely listening is power. Um, if you hold power over another person, whether you're a mayor holding power over a city, a mother holding power over a kid, um, it's, you know, we all occupy different positions of power throughout our days. Um, that can make you deaf to a certain kind of listening because um, you actually 
you actually perceive yourself as not needing what that sort of lower level person has, but you're more conscious about pleasing the people who may have power over you. So if I'm a manager, I have a boss and I may not be listening as closely as I should to the people who answer to me because I'm worried about pleasing this one up here. So mm -hmm. there's a power dynamic. The good thing about it is that once you are aware that that's just a hazard of the job, awareness alone can really mitigate it. And you can realize, oh, let me just stop a minute and let me just, you know, sort of really, really listen here. Yeah. And yeah. how much I, I think often, you know, ego is stands in the way because uh -huh. so many people are often thinking about their response and what they're mm -hmm. going to say and mm -hmm. before the person that they're listening to has even finished what they have to say. Oh, and there's something so fun about that. The reason why we do that is we love to hear ourselves speak. We love to give opinions. And when we do that, the part of the brain, the reward center that lights up is the same part that lights up for the pleasure we get with food and sex. So no wonder some people won't wow. shut up. It feels wow. good, <laughs> right? Because I would think, why do they keep interrupting? It's like, it feels great. So yes. yeah, so there's, there's all different things about what gets in the way of listening. So much of it begins right here in the brain. You know, we, we are wired to um, perceive trust or, um, you know, a threat or safety. So if we perceive distrust, like we can't tr trust this, parts of our brain will shut down. If we think that we can, it, we are, we, we, we can trust, we can trust that we are seen, heard, known, we feel like we belong. Other parts sort of light up. We have different hormones that get released when we feel safe and others that get released when we feel threatened. If you feel threatened, sometimes your ability to listen is really going to just shut down because you, you can't hear, you're so threatened. Um, if you feel like you belong, then you feel like you can authentically be yourself because someone has actually listened to you. They've made you realize that you belong there. You've got a place at the table or a place in the conversation. You feel safe enough to just be more creative, to offer more opinions. So it's, a, it's the brain, man. The brain has got, once you understand stuff about the brain, a lot of bad habits become much more understandable. I, like, I feel mm -hmm. like I got much more compassionate toward myself um, and others once I realized what might be going on in the brain when people are really disagreeing, really clashing. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, If I could leave viewers here with one thing, it's a great acronym from a guy named David Rock, who's with the Neuro Linguistics Institute, I think. And the acronym is SCARF, S-C-A-R-F, that stands for Status, Certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. And those are the five areas of sort of social, um, social experience. And those can either be um, threatened or they can be um, uh, honored by anything outside. So oftentimes if I'm having an agree like a disagreement and I'm feeling sort of agitated, I'm like, what's going on? I'm thinking, oh, my status is threatened. Like, to, you know, to quote my 12 year old self, this person thinks they're the boss of me, you know, I'm the boss here, or, you know, autonomy or certainty, you know, if I'm unsure, now I'm worried by certainty. So, so once, so if we remember that, and in the midst of some kind of a conflict, if you can think, could one of those things be threatened? Or if someone seems threatened with that, is there some way I can act that might reassure that part that perhaps they think is threatened mm. and you can you can just start to play with it you can kind of play with the whole dynamic of listening and it gets fun and it gets it gets joyful it gets 
it just gets more creative and it's sort of, I always picture this thing like it opens out and then out and then out, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, there's so many questions I have for you around oh. this topic and we have to go into our first break. When we come oh, back, I'm sorry, sorry. Okay. I want you to talk about what spurred your, what I think was a brilliant idea to go into a park with two chairs and a sign that says, I'm here to listen. Yeah, I'll tell you all about that. <laughs> we'll be right back. We are CHOP, and we can't wait to show you around. We are the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center, we have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined this week by Ronnie Polineski. Again, if you're not from the Philadelphia area, uh, Ronnie is an award-winning journalist, and she's also a positive psychology practitioner, which is a fascinating um, topic for me. I really want to talk about that as well. But just before the break, I mentioned um, a little experiment you decided to do um, here in Philadelphia. You took two chairs and you went into uh, what is known as Clark Park. 
uh, and you put up a sign that said, you know, I'm here to listen, basically. Yeah. And um, I think I would have a ball doing that, number one. <laughs> I think I might do that. You would be so good, Susan. Oh, oh yeah. I think I'd love to do that in a park here in Worcester. Um, uh-huh. But tell what, first of all, my first question is, what commonality did you discover from all these different people from different walks sitting and having the need to talk to you? I mean, I know that, you know, part of the art of doing that is to help the people that are um, sharing kind of uncover something about themselves, what's important. Was there a commonality that you discovered by doing that? I think the commonality is something so simple, just how much we all really need to be seen, heard, and known. And when we do feel that way, then we feel like we belong. And when we feel like we belong, then we connect. It's a big, beautiful circle. We are wired for connection. We're wired for it. We, as much as we want to say we are uh, um, independent people, we are an interdependent species. We need each other. And so if we, so on some, I think on some cellular level, even if we feel like we don't belong, then we know that we are not connecting. We can't survive without that. So there's something so primal about it. Um, and it just kind of reassured me that, you know, even for myself, when I'm feeling like a little out of it, I'm like, where am I feeling disconnected? And sometimes I'm thinking, how come I don't feel like I belong? What could I do? And, and, and we can even do that to ourselves. Like some days, you know, if you feel like you're just off, it's like, do I feel like I even belong to myself? Am I being true to what I know my gut is telling me, or what is my gut trying to tell me? Because right now I feel cut off from my gut. I feel disconnected. Do I belong to my gut? You know? So I think that was, you know, that was the thing that just came up over and over again. And it, and, and through my entire career actually came up over and over. Yeah. It must've been hard to, to have um, been pitched so many stories and there's only so many hours in a day so that you didn't have the ability to share everybody's story. Um, But when you listen the way that you do, there's Uh always a story there, right? Even if it doesn't appear to be the front page, massive, controversial um, type of story. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, to get back to the thing with the two chairs in the park, what happened there was that, um, you know, people would call, I would get calls all the time and somebody say, would you write about my story? And they would tell me and I would think, oh, it doesn't seem to hold up um, journalistically for what I would need it to be for reasons that are like too much to get into now. Um, But I would always be surprised after hearing somebody, I would say, you know, gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't think it's going to fit in the paper. And they would just say, oh, that's okay. Thank you for listening. It just feels so good to be listened to. And I realized that I would often hold, um, I would carry almost like a burden. Like if somebody called and wanted to tell their story, I thought I have to figure out a way to tell it. Um, you know, and I, or I felt bad having to even pass a judgment. I wanted to just listen and not have to make a judgment of whether it was worthy to go in the, um, to go in the paper. So this one time I just got this brainstorm. I thought, what if I just gave myself one day where I get to listen to anybody who wants to talk, but I don't have any obligation to judge it, to judge its worthiness for print. So there was a uh, arts festival going on in Clark Park. And um, I brought two of my (laughs) living room chairs there with this big sign I still have saying, um, uh, I will listen with compassion, without judgment and with an open heart. Is there something you want to say? Tell me, I'll listen. (laughs) 
And By the way, did the paper pick up the story, I hope? No, no, I told no one. I didn't tell anybody I was doing it because I was like, this is the weirdest thing ever. Like people would be like, what are you doing? Like, I mean, I was too self-conscious, right? Oh uh, gosh, not at all. I think it's so, I, I just think it's so original and it's such an amazing thing that you- Oh, it was real, well, um, I did end up writing about it in re retrospect. So that was like on a Saturday, I came in and on Monday, you know, my editor's like, you know, so what do you have? What are you going to write about? I'm like, I don't know. And then one of my friends there who I told about, she goes, you should have her write about the listening thing. And he said, what's that? And I told him and he goes, oh, you got to, you have to write that. I'm like, I don't know. It just seems so ridiculous. And he's like, write it. Um, I, I think it should be taking place in every city. Oh, a series. There, there is um, an outfit out of I'm thinking LA, but I could be wrong. I think they're called Sidewalk Talks and it's run by two, I think it was started by a group of people who were therapists and what, and they realized that as they were listening to people in their own offices speak, they thought there is so much need out there. They don't always need a therapist, they need to be heard. So they started training people like all around the country to set up two chairs and listen. So, so there's, there's definitely, there is movement around this thing about the importance of listening, what it can do for people, why we should do it. Um, and certainly uh, corporate America is really picking up on it more. There's now more emphasis than ever on soft skills. And I think soft skills always got such a bad rap because it doesn't feel like it's, you know, it's not uh, you know, it's not analytics. It's not, you know, other sort of engineering skills. Soft skills, though, are the ones that we value the most in a workplace because they lead to, if you have good soft skills, they help you to collaborate, to pivot, to inspire, to motivate, to bounce back from adversity. We call them soft skills, but they're really not. They are igniting skills because they ignite other things. And listening is the river that runs through all of them, all of them, all of them. I just got back from uh, San Francisco. I spoke to the uh, Federal Reserve Board. Uh, there are people who do their uh, sort of product design and uh, they work in teams. How do they listen better in order to produce this thing they have to produce? And, you know, if someone is not really listened to and heard, it's not just like, gee, it might hurt their feelings. In the workplace, it could literally affect the product that you're making, how yeah. well it does, you know, it's by the way, you, you are, you, you do work with nonprofits and businesses yeah. around this mm -hmm. teaching it, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, do you have more success with women than men? You know, there's a, I would say just to get the men to understand the importance of it, because clearly yeah. soft skills, I think women naturally have them. Yeah. Uh, men just are by nature more analytical, right? Yeah. So how are you, how are you, what kind of response are you getting from men versus women in these environments? Yeah. Oh, well, Su Susan, you hit the nail on the head. Women get it. They get it right out of the gate. They get it and they want to get better at it or they want to help the people who work for them get better at it. They want to help some of the men get better at it. Um, it's because, yeah, there's something, um, uh, some of the soft skills I think require a certain kind of vulnerability. And I think women, we've just been sort of trained to be more vulnerable um, just by society and how we've been raised and maybe, you know, role models over the years. But yeah, women really get it. And a lot of men get it too. They really do. But I would say women are usually, they're there from the get-go. Yeah. Um, I've certainly been hired by men 
who've said, wow, we really need, need this here. So like they really get it. Right. And, I, and I can see some of the men with like arms folded, you know, and some of the women are like raising their hands. They have stuff to say. Uh, yeah. But but it's it's definitely, you know, there was this report from um, McKinsey, you know, we're, ta we're talking about the great resignation. They did a report called the great attrition, people just leaving the workforce. And a lot of the impact of why people were leaving, it's definitely because of their experience of others having weak, soft skills. So McKinsey found that there was more than half of employees who left their job in the prior six months did not feel valued by the organization or their manager, or they lacked a sense of belonging. That part was 51%. 51% felt like they didn't belong, you know? So you wow. could also have the That's most- Too much. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you could also have the most wonderful like inclusion programs, but if you invite people, but then you don't, pay any attention to them. You've included them, but they don't feel like they belong because they, you haven't really, you're just sort of ticking a box like, oh, we need this kind of a person and this and this. Mm -hmm. But if they don't feel like they, they belong, they're going to go. They're going to go. And why wouldn't they, you know? Yeah. So. What kind of things do you say? So we probably both know, and I would say this is more women than men okay. um, that are talkers. I, I, I do think that there's okay. people that are talkers and there's people that are listeners oh. um, and particularly women could, you know, uh, growing up, you know, my, my dad would call my mom, the queen of chat. She was just the queen of chat. There was always, you know, yeah. So what do you say to these women to get that? There's nothing wrong with the excitement and the wanting to communicate and, you know, say things, mm -hmm. but to get them to see the value and sometimes kind of forcing themselves to not say something unless there really is something to say. Mm, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. So, well, I think if you look at it like this, listening can be a superpower. But even a superpower, you wouldn't use it on every single thing. You know, like if you had an ant that you wanted to get rid of, you wouldn't crush it with a hammer, you know? You Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply probably get like a piece of the paper towel and you would like dab it off your kitchen counter. Right. So I think if they are able to see listening and chatting as not just a skill that can help them connect, but something that can also be thought of 
as a tool that they could use a little more strategically. Mm -hmm. And that when you, when you halt the chat, what happens is silence is given a little bit of room. And if you're not rushing to fill that silence, even if that's not what you're doing on purpose, but if you don't, it allows other voices to come forward, other perspectives mm -hmm. to be shared. Um, and sometimes I know I've known people and I could be one of them, women who've been pretty chatty. And I think it is, we can get anxious if there's quiet and then, mm -hmm. Because I'm the woman, it seems like people are dis are uncomfortable. So let me spare them their discomfort and fill it up. Yeah. Which is also, if I really drill it down, uh, just a little disrespectful. You <laughs> 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 don't think they can handle their own feeling, or you know, be given the space to. Yeah. Well, that's empathy, right? right? Right. That's empathy. That's, that's there. You go feeling that's the energy of the person in front of you and wanting to make them comfortable. Which right. that's a whole other topic. I think we could do a whole show on that. Yeah, um, exactly. I want to make sure I get to some of my questions. Yeah. So you decided to get this certificate in positive psychology yeah. and what a time to do it. 2021. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah. tell me, you know, why and what, you know, what did you learn mm -hmm. um, that surprised you the most? Yeah. Okay. So it was, um, I started um, it, this it's a, through a place called the Flourishing center, which is great. I had always wanted to learn positive psychology. I'm a big fan of uh, Marty Seligman, who's like the father of positive psychology. He's at Penn. But a master's program would be about $95,000. That's what it was about eight years ago. I'm sure it's well over 105 for one year. And we already yeah. have a tuition we're paying off for our kid. And um, yeah. But I, I love this idea that you know, psychology was sort of founded in trying in like human brokenness and how to help people kind of heal. But then what? And they never really studied, well, what's the science of human flourishing? And that there are behaviors that could be replicable that could really enhance human flourishing. And um, I've always believed that. I mean, I've, um, I've, I've always felt that. But to think that there was a science that actually was breaking it down was really intriguing. So I found the Flourishing Center where for a fraction of that cost, mm -hmm. uh, I got to learn like all of it. Um, so it was about a 10-month curriculum started in... I think October of 2020. So we were, we, the pandemic was flourishing then. And um, it was two afternoons a week, uh, like lunch times, two lunch times a week. And it saved my soul. Like we wow. would, it was That's 24 what I was wondering if it oh helped you get through oh. that. We should have all been studying that. It was, <laughs> there were like 24 of us in the class and, you know, our screen would go live. It was all Zoom. It was from like, it was mostly the States, but a lot of people in Canada, someone in Mexico, a couple in Russia. And we would look at each other like, how are you? How are you? Like it was this, and everybody, you know, it's a self-selecting crowd. So talk about people being willing to be vulnerable. Everybody just, you know, the minute the screen lit up, we were on, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I loved the things I was learning. And um, <clears throat> at that point too, with the Inquirer, I had started this positive news section called The Upside. So I was really becoming obsessed with this, you know, it would upset me when I would hear people say, you guys, you're all in fake news. And sometimes even pretty thoughtful people would say that. And I would think, what are they trying, what are they really saying? And I realized what they were really saying is that it's not that the news is fake, but it's incomplete. There is so much more than the bad stuff that's happening in the world. And you're not showing that. So it's fake. 
But I think what they meant was it's incomplete. So when I started the upside, it's a fake. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Of society, it's 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 incomplete. You're right. Yeah, um, yeah. A version right. of society. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's 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 happening. Like there's there's mm -hmm. good happening all the time, mm. and so if we only focus on the bad. Not only is that going to think try to feed it, but it also it's inaccurate. It's an inaccurate mm -hmm. picture, you know? Yeah. So what I loved about the upstop is that it gave us chance to, to say, well, here's some other things going on. And it was really fun to find that. And then studying positive psychology, then I even believed, like, I think back when, then when I first started, it was kind of like my hunch, like, we're so exhausted, we need good news. And then when I started studying positive psychology, I was able to say, oh, and here's why, here's why we need it, you know? So yeah. I feel like I learned about, you know, mindset and belief systems and how to change them and why to change them, why our brains are prone to do one thing and not the other. And um, it's been a joy. So now I'm uh, midway through a, uh, through the same place, the Flourishing Center, a curriculum, uh, a curriculum, hard to say, uh, on coaching. And so the coaching is where you basically... You know, you sort of, I, I almost see it as like you're sort of walking shoulder to shoulder with somebody who's going through a transition or a change. And they'd like to weather the changes through the lens of positive psychology. And um, it's been fascinating. It's a different kind of listening from what I did as a reporter. So I feel like I'm still kind of new at it. And sometimes I fall flat on my face and I'm like, that was a leading question and you are a reporter. <laughs> Uh, but it's, yeah. it's, it's been great. It's been really, really great. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, we, we're, we're out of time and I'm so yeah. disappointed. I had other questions. Um, oh. I, I think, you know, so much of what you were just talking about is really, you know, our perspective of mm -hmm. what comes at us daily in our lives is huge in, mm -hmm. in kind of keeping us grounded. And I also wanted to mention real quick, you're a mom and you have a daughter and, um, you know, I, I'm sure that she has, you know, just herself been able to find such joy in, in her journey from watching you. She's, she's a pretty, a pretty great kid. She's 26. She'll always be a kid to me, but she's, yeah. um, she's really proud of me and she says it and it makes my heart sing. Like how yeah. lucky am I to have a daughter who will just tell me how proud she is of me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. I love that about her and that she's willing to do that. And it goes without saying, I, my love for her is over the moon. Like so, yeah. proud, so proud. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. listen, I, I wish you such continued success oh. with the work you're doing in all the arenas. I think every time you have a conversation with somebody, you know, it's a gift. So um, thank you for coming on and telling a little bit about your story. And um, I hope you'll stay in touch. Oh, thank you so much, Susan. What, what a joy to reconnect. Holy martyrs. Yes. Holy, holy martyrs. martyrs. <laughs> holy martyrs. I said handball, perkels, and what's oh the third, thing, right? We uh, spent our time. It was just such good, clean fun. It was such good, clean fun. Orland yeah. Hardware, perkels. Uh, we would walk the tracks to go to the bowling alley in Flower Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, God. I grew up in the bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we got to have stories over drinks about that. Yes, I know. We should. We should. So, Thank okay. you so much. Thank you, Susan. You take um, care. Stay with us. You'll um, be hearing from Sherry Morrison, again, our Lifestyle Watch contributor in just a moment. We'll be right back. 
Action News, celebrating 50 years of AccuWeather. If you think severe weather has been on the rise, you are correct. In the last three years, tornado warnings in our region have shattered records. With 52 last year alone, half of those warnings resulted in confirmed tornadoes, including two extremely rare EF3s. Thanks for always trusting us to keep you informed. 50 Years of AccuWeather is sponsored by Independence Blue Cross. Choose coverage you can count on with the region's strongest network. Whether you're just getting started, already well on your way, planning for your future, drafting your vision, growing toward greatness, or finding that dreams really can come true, whatever your next steps are, we'll be right here with you, just like we have been for 150 years. Start here, grow here, stay here. Penn Community Bank, here we grow. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. Post game show with Seth Joyner. I knew that they had a running game. Derek Gunn. He has put in the effort. Devin Caney. Had we not won the Super Bowl, what would we be saying? And Mike Missanelli. Well, you know how Philly is. Post game, now streaming on the 6ABC family of apps. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Today. Welcome to the Lifestyle segment of Women to Watch. I'm Sherry Morrison. This week, I am thrilled to introduce you to a woman of many artistic talents, co-founder, artist, and director of Lyric Fest, Suzanne Duplantis. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. My pleasure. Suzanne's talents have gone from drawing and painting as a child and young adult to opera and song, and then back to her painter's palette with production and creativity in between. All of Suzanne's work is exceptional. Suzanne, please tell us about where you're from and your background in art and music. Sure. Well, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, originally. Um, grew up there in a you know, big kind of raucous, happy family. Um, my dad sang in the opera chorus and my mom was an educator, a school teacher. So um, I grew up around the arts. I had an uncle who was a painter and um, just kind of indoctrinated into the art world. I was always an artsy kid. Uh, and I've gone to do that for the rest of my life in various different ways. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't realize your family was so involved in, in music and in the arts. That's, mm -hmm. So it's a natural place for you to be. Yeah, definitely. You performed opera and uh, for years and you moved on to art song. They both tell a story. They have such a different resonance. Um, how does how does your approach differ for the two of them? Well, opera is a big um, experience. It's it's a big experience for the audience. It's it's a a big enlargement of you know whatever whatever the presence that you have on the stage. Uh, you have 
you have the costumes, you have the orchestra, you have uh, a, a big distance between yourself and the um, and the audience. Um, sometimes you have a prompter, you have, you know, a lot of sort of artifice between you and the listener, um, which is wonderful and thrilling. It's, it's theater, it's live theater. But um, I, st after singing for about 10 years, um, I thought, well, this, you know, I love it, but it's, it's not, I think I'm being called to another direction. I think I felt that I had a lot more music in me and I was um, in my early training, just loved art song. And so I decided to uh, change my course a little bit and uh, go into song. And, and what, it, what it necessitated really was for me to stop singing opera uh, because in order to keep that lifestyle going, you're constantly doing auditions, going to New York, showing up for jobs, and you're away from home for, you know, anywhere from three weeks to a month while you're singing an opera job. So this way, um, I, I just kind of said, I called my agent, said, I'm going to redirect, I'm going to go into song. She was very supportive, uh, song and concert work. So then we founded Lyric Fest, which you haven't mentioned yet, but um, but that was that was the the area in which I just pointed my the big ship of my life into that direction. So. Yeah, I would imagine, I mean, just from watching, and I have no idea, really, but just from watching, I feel like uh, opera is more of a, a, a practice performance, and art song is more of you're singing from your heart when it's happening. It's not so much I'm sure you practice, you know, you can't, you have to practice, but um, it just seems like it's more extemporaneous. Um, to yeah, me. I, I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm glad that it comes off like that because it should, <laughs> it absolutely should. And it absolutely is from your heart. I think when the thing that's special about it is, is that it's a very intimate art form. Yeah. It's a very, um, you know, I, I sing to you. You know, it, it's something that we all have experience with in our lives. And mothers sing to children and, uh, you know, our, our communities sing songs together. We sing songs for holidays. We, you know, sing songs for protest. It's just very much a part of the lives of all of us. And so if you take that um, that feeling of immediacy into your performance, then it, then it will and should feel very from the heart and very authentic and yeah. like I said like to say without artifice it's really direct it's right really direct right you're 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 right there talking to mm -hmm. you very close to your audience which you is not the, the case with the with the opera in 2003 you and two other artists founded a nonprofit organization called Lyric Fest your mission to bring people together through shared experience of song and story Reviews of Lyric Fest say experience what critics have called an irresistible mix of high art and humane feeling as entertaining as a well-managed party. Please tell us a little bit about how Lyric Fest came about. Uh, the pianist for Lyric Fest, Laura Ward, um, and I have been friends for over 30 years and we met at a music festival in California. And we both loved art song at the time. This is, you know, while I was doing opera pre, you know, pre-professional opera. And we just, we sort of decided with this shared love of art song that we would, um, we would found an art song series. And at the time it was going to be on a vineyard in California. That was the idea, <laughs> but it changed. Um, I 
moved to Phil, or I had been, already been in Philadelphia. Laura moved to Philadelphia. This was the place to be. And we, in, in the beginning, we had Randy Marazzo with us. Um, and she's no longer with the organization, but she was a big part of the founding of it. And um, so, uh, so yeah, we just decided, okay, now's the time to, to found this. We were we were we had the access to a venue that had an absolutely wonderful piano and that was very very important mm -hmm. uh and we you know the quote i love I, I love that quote i'm so glad that you read it because that's what we would like our concerts to be you know informative fun um you know just bringing everybody right. along telling stories through song that's that's really what lyric fest is all about yeah yeah it sounds fantastic um, after 25 years of opera and song, you decided to bring out your paintbrushes again. What made you decide to get back into painting? Well, it was an accident. I came in through the back door. My, um, my children, I signed them up for an art class and the teacher was a friend and I hadn't done, you know, I was doing graphic design for Lyric Fest all along the way, but I hadn't really picked up any paintbrushes in 20 years, 25 years. Yeah. So I... I asked her, could I, could I just come and stay in the back? I promise I won't talk to the teenagers. I'll just, you know, <laughs> stay here and learn what you're, what you're teaching. And uh, it was, it was one of those aha moments, yeah. you know, like, oh, wow, I'm supposed to be doing this. And I remember on, on the second day, she said, where did you learn to paint? And I, I almost cried because I, I didn't know I still knew how to paint. You know, so it was it was a very emotional time. And I, I remember walking out that week. It was a class every day, all day. And I would walk out and I would think, how would I, how would I paint that? How would I, you know, so it was like my eyes were open all of a sudden. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, it's interesting. Somebody said to me once two things about the 10 year span. One one friend said, you know, you have to reinvent yourself every 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I and at the time. I'll be darned if that hadn't been what had happened. I had sung opera for 10 years and I moved on to art song. I had been doing Lyric Fest for 10 years and I moved on to um, to painting. And then that, and then after 10 years after that, I'm now a potter. So, it, and, and I wasn't, it wasn't by design, you know, it just sort of happened. And um, another, there was a famous potter who, um, who said, once to an opera singer who wanted to be a potter and an opera singer. And, uh, and she, she said to him when he said, I think I want to be an opera singer. And she said, well, try it for 10 years and see what you think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not our 10 minute mentality, right? No. So really invest in it. Really yeah. It's not a quick fix. It takes time. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, it must be so rewarding and liberating to have such two creative and beautiful outlets um, that come from your heart and spirit. And from what I've heard, you use all of your skills and creativity for Lyric Fest, from the organization, creating the stories, the scripts, and the spoken element, the song, the vision, as well as the actual graphic arts for the programs, playbills, and announcements. Did you intend to incorporate your drawing into Lyric Fest? Uh, I never did. I never did. Door, doors open, things happen. And um, I, realized, I realized that I wanted uh, to integrate all of the arts into this thing that was Lyric Fest. Um, I think, you know, the arts are, I, I don't need to tell you how rich that is and how um, moving it is to, to live and dwell in that world. 
Um, and so it just started to occur to me that, uh, that I could bring the graphic piece in uh, and that's been so rewarding and wonderful. And the writing, um, you know, when I was preparing to go to college, I, I used to write poetry, I used to paint and draw and mm -hmm. of course sang. And uh, I auditioned for a scholarship to go to college and I got a little modest scholarship and I thought, okay, I'll do that, you know? And I remember while I was there thinking, you know, other, other singers aspired to be at the Metropolitan Opera or to do, you know, opera in that big, big way. That right. really wasn't me. It was never me. And so I, I remember thinking to myself, I just want, and even verbalizing this to other people, I just want to do great music with great people. Yeah. And I'm doing it. And I didn't even realize that I had had that aspiration and that I had, and it had become fulfilled. You know, that's what I'm doing now. Great music yeah. with great people. So Yeah, that's very, very cool. Um, you just finished a performance called The Singer Singer, a biography and music about Winnaretta Singer, an American patroness in Paris. Um, and you also told me that she was part of the Singer family, the Singer Sewing Machine family. One of your upcoming performances, which will be in April of 2023 at Longwood Gardens and at the Peabody Institute in Baltimore, is The Metamorphosis of Plants inspired by a great German poet, statesman, and botanist, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. These are two fantastic examples of Lyric Fest. And can you give us a little description of how these programs and their multimedia content work and blend? Yeah, well, for, for Winneretta, this was a little known story. And when you start to learn about this woman, you wonder why it was so little known. She was, um, she was an amazing person with a phantasmagorical life. Um, her husband, of course, was um, Isaac Singer, who perfected the Singer sewing machine. She inherited a huge wealth. And um, so I read a biography of her by Sylvia Kahn um, that was recommended to me by Laura, my, my colleague. And we decided to tell this story about her. Uh, so the story can be richer if you're showing pictures of who this person is. She, she was commissioning Debussy, Ravel, uh, Stravinsky, uh, you know, the most famous people at the turn of the century in France. Um, wow. And she was right there in with all of that. So, um, you know, her life intersected with all of the who's who in the musical world in Paris um, from, you know, 1880 to, to the First World War, Second World War. So um, we decided to tell that story in a multimedia way. Uh, we had we had super titles to bring people along so you don't have to feel like um, you don't belong in this concert. You know what the songs are about. You get to read it above there and use the pictures and the photographs. So um, that that was a really thrilling thing. We, ju we just now did it and uh, we're still kind of glowing from telling that story and having so many people come up to us and say, why don't why don't people know about this woman you know yeah. so yeah. what a great way to learn about people yeah um you have a project that sounds absolutely fabulous that you've been working on for three years um and it's actually how i kind of found you um it will be opening this coming february at the philadelphia episcopal cathedral and also the kennedy center terrace theater in dc it is called cotton and it is based on the photographs of philadelphia artist john dow uh, the, the performance involves quite a bit of collaboration in mixed media 
please tell us about some of the artists you've commissioned and how it's all going to fit together. Well, this program is completely inspired by John Dowell. His work is extraordinary. Um, he, uh, he felt compelled to go back to the cotton fields in South Carolina where his ancestors had likely been enslaved. He, he was visited in a dream by his grandmother and sort of he felt that this was what he was supposed to do. So when I encountered his work, I had a very strong um, response to it and so did Laura. Um, we decided that we needed to do something with it. And so we wrote to various poets and asked them to respond to John's work with new poems. So we've commissioned eight new poems and um, some incredible poems have come from this and the, and the, uh, the poets are amazing. Don't have time to name them all, but you know, Nikki Giovanni is one. She's certainly, you know, an, an incredible artist. And then all of this will be set to music. Um, and has been set to music with eight songs. So in a in the performance situation, we'll show John's work. Um, we have uh, singers Denise Graves, uh, very very famous, and Justin Austin, um, who will be singing for us. It's going to be extraordinary. I hope that the audiences can come to to take uh, take this in this this uh, experience. And we have been invited. Uh, to the Kennedy Center to pre present it as well there. So we're truly excited and very grateful to the um, Washington Performing Arts to who's bringing us to the Kennedy Center. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I plan on coming. I can't wait to see it. Wonderful. It really sounds fabulous. Thank you. Um, and, and actually one of the people performing is one of our past guests on the show, Women to Watch, uh, narrator Charlotte Blake Austin. That's so, wonderful. Yes, um, yes. Charlotte, I love Charlotte. She was fun. Charlotte is wonderful. She she's such an important person to Philadelphia. She's been, um, you know, she's been a narrator for us for many many years, and she her gifts are just incredible. She yeah. really really brings the art of story um, and and personal connection to every project that we've done, and she has written a piece for us um, for this concert this specific concert and her her poem was chosen as the to be the last poem in the in the uh presentation so she's just magical she just draws you in she I, find, I find it absolutely fascinating that with all of these performances that take months and years to put together you only perform them twice so lyric fest partners to create a repertoire that potentially becomes archival recordings and all of these performances in hopes to be used again so when you ex when you spoke yeah. with me, you explained much of the earlier music was created by commission. Is that part of the inspiration behind this? Yeah, I mean it's ephemeral, right? Any any performing art is just it's gone. You know, you share it in that moment. So we decided that we would that commissioning would be a very big part of what we do. So commissioning means that we we find fabulous song composers and we ask them to write for us so that we're creating this legacy of American song alongside of our programs that we do. Yeah, it's so much fun that you draw from so many different areas yeah. um, in the arts field. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Thank you very much for your time and for sharing your exceptional talents. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so I, much. I hope that everybody will check you out on your website for more information about Suzanne. Uh, go to uh, and the upcoming programs with Lyric Fest, go to www.lyricfest.org 
or you can go to www.suzanduplantis.com. Sue will be right back to close out the show. Ladies, keep living your dreams. Action News, celebrating 50 years with AccuWeather. If you think severe weather has been on the rise, you are correct. In the last three years, tornado warnings in our region have shattered records. With 52 last year alone, half of those warnings resulted in confirmed tornadoes, including two extremely rare EF3s. Thanks for always trusting us to keep you informed. 50 Years of AccuWeather is sponsored by Independence Blue Cross. Choose coverage you can count on with the region's strongest network. Whether you're just getting started, already well on your way, planning for your future, drafting your vision, growing toward greatness, or finding that dreams really can come true. Whatever your next steps are, we'll be right here with you, just like we have been for 150 years. Start here, grow here, stay here. Penn Community Bank, here we grow. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers, go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene, go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. Post Game Show with Seth Joyner. I knew that they had a running game. Derek Gunn. He has put in the effort. Devin Caney. Had we not won the Super Bowl, what would we be saying? And Mike Missanelli. Well, you know how Philly is. Post Game, now streaming on the 6ABC family of apps. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being with me this week. A big thank you always to Kateri for producing the show and our sponsors for their support. And stay tuned. Next week, I'm going to be talking to Deanna Dorsey Calloway, who is the CEO of Creative Ladder. And she was brought on by the founder, uh, actor Ryan Reynolds. So it should be a great interview. Have a great week, everyone. Now, the women to watch, Military Watch. Give a service member a task and you can be sure it will get done. But give a service member a new purpose and you can sit back and watch them thrive. The most challenging part of transitioning from military life is finding your new next career. Finding the next job can be daunting for service members. Everything from learning how the civilian job market works even what job titles mean. In the military, it's simple. We have military ranks. And then learning that you will now have to pay much more for health benefits and other expenses that were traditionally covered by the military. But aside from these technical aspects, there are the intangible challenges that many service members cite. A military career offers excitement, adventure, and an overwhelming, fulfilling sense of purpose by being part of something bigger than yourself. And that's where hiring our heroes comes in. 
It was formed by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. The Hiring Our Heroes Corporate Fellowship Program offers transitioning service members the opportunity to join a civilian employer during their last three months of military service. And these HOH fellows can get real-world experience and gain a better understanding of their civilian career opportunities and even a better understanding of their personal aspirations. The program provides employers access to high-quality talent. Data shows that participating employers are so impressed that over 89% offer the fellows full employment at the conclusion of the program. This week, Comcast NBC Universal is thrilled to welcome five fellows from the Army, Navy, and Marine Corps. We look forward to providing an amazing transition experience, and we're excited to support them in the next chapter of their lives. Whether you're a service member looking to transition or an employer searching for tremendous talent, check out www.hiringourheroes.org to learn more. Winter weather is in the forecast, and you can trust Action News to keep you informed. No hype, just help. Cecily Tynan, Adam Joseph, and the AccuWeather team. Philadelphia's most trusted source for winter weather forecasting, only on Action News. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.